If you have been around here for any amount of time, you know that we are walking through the book of Matthew this year. I think this is sermon number 32. Um, but we're talking about Matthew and we're dividing the greater series up into some mini-series throughout the year. Um, and we're on week three of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is what Jesus talked about the most. I open this series with looking at some questions of, are we recognizing the kingdom of heaven? And then if we're recognizing it, are we responding to it? Are we opening ourselves, our minds, our hearts to his will, to his work? Are we experiencing and participating in the kingdom of heaven right here, right now? And last week, Brent took a different approach to a familiar parable about seeds and soil and how Jesus spoke to us in parables so we could get to the deep parts of what God wants to say to us. And again, if we're hearing it, are we listening? Are we acting? Today, we're going to continue to learn about the kingdom of heaven. Once again, we're going to be in Matthew 13, where Jesus is unveiling for us what his kingdom is like, teaching us how to walk it out in our lives and then where to put our hope for later. As you listen this morning, notice how similar yet different this is from the parable of the sower from last week. The parable of the sower was about a sower sowing seed. But in that parable, there was just one sower. It was all good seed, but four different types of soil. This morning, there's one soil, but there's two sowers, and there's two different types of seed. Join with me as we read from Matthew 13. This is verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheat, sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, well, then the weeds also disappeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. 
This isn't just another seed story. This is a parable about God's grace, the enemy's plan, and God winning in the end. This is a story that has all of the classic ingredients of a blockbuster movie. It has the peaceful beginning, the seeming shift in the balance of power, the feeling as if things might not work out in the end, but then it has the best ending of all, the victory of the righteous. Since it's the 4th of July weekend, let's look at the movie The Patriot. Who here has seen it? Yes, I was hoping. Fun fact, that was the very first movie I ever watched on DVD. Um, and we thought the special effects was super cool, totally different than a VHS. But wasn't that the plot line? Right, there was a peaceful beginning, a golden field, a colonial man, Benjamin Martin, who was in his barn crafting a chair. His children were playing. Then there's a joyful visit to Charleston with family and returning home. Then the seeming shift of power, where the wicked Colonel Tavington comes charging onto the scene. He kills one of the children, and he sets fire to their home and their barns. There's a point in the movie where a broken Benjamin Martin desperately whispers, please, God, help me, help me. You're left feeling as if it might not work out in the end, as the death and destruction play over and over again as the story unfolds. But then, the thrill, the moment, the victory of, right, of the righteous. Reese, can you put the picture up? When Benjamin comes riding up, right, waving that huge and glorious American flag, and the battle is won, you can't help but feel patriotic. The victory of the righteous, right? The elements of a really good story. Well, what Jesus is telling us today in the parable is a similar plot line. It's the plot to the biggest blockbuster story ever. It's a really good story, his kingdom. A kingdom built on salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. A kingdom built for you and for me. A kingdom where we can sometimes feel that it's not going to work out. But when we know Jesus, we live in a kingdom where we know the end of the story. We know that there's victory in the righteous. So let's take a look at this plot of the story given to us by Jesus. Jesus told them in another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So imagine a warm, sunny day, a tall, gray-haired old man, lines wrinkling his face from laughing and years of working in the sun. He's wearing overalls and a wide-brimmed hat to keep the sun from his eyes. The old man is walking through his freshly plowed field. His strong, calloused hands are scattering seeds, whistling a little tune. He feels alive. The work of planting is giving life to him. At the end of the day, as the golden sun slowly sets, our farmer, this fatherly old man, relaxes under a tree with a glass of something cold, he proudly looks out over his field where he sowed his crop, and a deep sense of satisfaction washes over him. Then comes the morning, and the morning after that, 
The old farmer looks across his land and he sees that it is good. He sees the life sprouting up from what he had put in the ground as he begins to see the little green seedlings come up. A peaceful beginning. But while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. This is a really sneaky way for the enemy to bring destruction into the old farmer's field. Under the cover of darkness, he sneaks in when no one is watching. And it will take a while before anyone notices. And by then, it will be too late. The damage is done. This reminds me of the creation story. If you think of God as the fatherly gardener, so pleased with his creation, his garden, it is good. And then he created people, Adam and Eve. It is so good, God said. That fatherly pride, that deep sense of satisfaction. And then the sneaky enemy. When she wasn't watching, he planted weeds in the goodness of Eve's heart. The damage is done. The principles of the kingdom of heaven were unfolding from the very beginning of time. There's a seeming shift in the balance of power. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. A few weeks later, his servants came to him concerned. They noticed the weeds growing in the field, and they wondered why. They knew the farmer. They knew how meticulous he was, how he planted with such care. There are weeds in the field. There's weeds with the wheat. You sowed good seed, didn't you? Where did all those weeds come from? We ask those same kinds of questions, I think. We begin to see the weeds. We begin to see things going wrong in our lives, in our families, in our country, and even in churches. We start to ask God the same question. How did these weeds get in here? How did this happen? The answer is simple, but it isn't comforting, and it is not heartwarming. An enemy did this. This enemy, this evil entity, isn't inactive. He doesn't just sit around and hope that he'll find a way to demolish God's plan for our lives. He is active and he is working. He has sown his own seeds, seeds that can oftentimes look like good seeds. God, you're good, right? You know what you're doing. You're in charge of me, like you're in charge of my life. But if you care, why is there bad stuff happening in my life or in the world? How and why does the bad mingle with the good? The farmer answers them by saying that an enemy is the root of the problem. The weeds are there not by the lack of his care. This is intentional harm caused by an enemy. It shows us the hatred that the enemy has for the owner of the field. This enemy takes great satisfaction from sowing weeds in his field, causing destruction and damage to the farmer and his crop. I've always said I love C.S. Lewis, 
But to be honest, it was the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe and some fantastic quotes that he had that I loved. But I've been on a Lewis kick the last several weeks. I first read The Great Divorce. It's an incredible, life-changing way to look at heaven and hell. I don't know if it was just me, but it was a book that I actually talked back to as I was reading it because it's so good. And so much of it I read, I had tears in my eyes because it's so true. Then I read The Magician's Nephew, which was when Narnia was created, and it was the beginning of evil um, and the enemy. And it really, as I read it, it felt like Genesis coming to life. And I'm almost through now the Screwtape Letters. This book is about an old demon whose name is Screwtape, and he's writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood. He's a young demon who is just starting his job, his career, to corrupt the heart of a young man. Picture loving someone enough, so much that you write letter after letter, how to share your heart, to do good, how to live a life after Jesus. Well, twist that into something really ugly, because that is what Uncle Screwtape did. It's calculated. It's evil. The enemy is a wretched, crafty being. And I'm going to read a couple parts to you in hopes that it grips you as it does me. To us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption from its will into ours. The increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. Then he says, the more often he feels without acting, the less he will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. I thought this, this was really powerful. When two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face, which are almost unendurably irritating to one another. Work on that. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift of his mother's eyebrows, which he learned to dislike in the nursery. And let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it to annoy. If you know your job, he will not notice the immense improbability of the assumption. And of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks which similarly annoy her. As he cannot see or hear himself, this is easily managed. You must bring him to a condition in which he can practice self-examination for an hour without discovering any of those facts about himself, which are perfectly clear to anyone who has ever lived in the same house with him or worked in the same office. The great thing is to make him value an opinion for some quality other than truth. We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest, nor kind, nor happy now. And then the last little bit. He filled his world this is, this is what the enemy, Uncle Screwtape, is saying of God. God is the he here. He has filled his world full of pleasures. There are things for human to do all day long without his minding in the least. Sleeping, washing, eating, drinking, pl 
playing, praying, working, everything has to be twisted before it's of any use to us. So you can see and understand now what Jesus means when he says, but while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So let's look at how it was that the wheat and weeds were growing together. In the area of Palestine, where Jesus lived, there was a certain weed, and you can put that slide up, which when it begins to grow, it looks very similar to the wheat, which is pretty remarkable how close they look. This is commonly known as darnel. This common weed is almost indistinguishable from the wheat until the head sprouts, which is about a week before the harvest. These weeds were prone to be infected with mold, and therefore they became poisonous to the people. If the weeds were processed in the wheat, the food supply would be contained, contaminated. Darnell is a mimic weed, and it looks and behaves so much like wheat that it can't live without human assistance. Darnell weeds kind of function like the statement, I thought I knew them, but then they reared their ugly head. Often, we don't catch our weeds until the ugliness starts showing up. We go about our daily lives following what we think is right in our own eyes or what might be socially acceptable. Sometimes we don't care about what is truly right, what pleases and honors God. We allow these weeds to grow, and we don't even recognize that they are there. Or if we do, we don't always have the self-control to care. We neglect choosing to live out Philippians 4, 8. Fix your eyes on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely. Dwell on those things. Find the good in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. Without watchful care, we don't know that the weeds are growing until they finally rear their ugly head. And we're surprised by what's really growing in our hearts. I ask the question, what seeds has the enemy planted in your heart? Seeds that you've allowed to mingle with the good. Is there jealousy, lust, unforgiveness, gossip? As we learned last week through a different parable that Jesus told, the word of God has been planted in our hearts. But where has the enemy come in? And what have we allowed to grow beside it? Have you allowed a little envy to grow into a green-eyed monster? Have you allowed a little hate to grow into a silent, cold apathy in your life? Have you allowed a few minutes here or there on a website to grow into something that is choking the life out of your marriage? Have you allowed a little watercolor chatter to begin slandering someone's character? Have you allowed doubt to creep in? That there's no way you could be loved, so loved by Jesus, that you throw your hands up and say, I'm not doing this kingdom thing anymore. There is stuff in all our lives that we have allowed to take root and to grow, 
something ugly that is growing right next to the good. Every one of us has the ugly and beautiful growing in our hearts. But that ugliness can spread. It hurts us. It wreaks havoc in our lives, and then it grows. The enemy isn't satisfied with just the individual heart. It's a great starting place for the ugliness. But like weeds, it wants more. Moving outward, choking out the good. It builds and spreads and affects the world. It creates disorder. It creates broken down, destructive things that we have known since we were first born. We're left wondering what to do. The feeling as if things might not work out in the end. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So if we go back to our story, the men from the sower's garden asked, should we go and gather the weeds? I feel like what the old farmer says is kind of surprising. He doesn't say, yes, go pick them. Instead, he casts a knowing eye over the golden fields. The farmer's eyes could see beneath the soil. The eyes of our Heavenly Father can see beneath the soil of our hearts. He has been lovingly casting his knowing eye over humanity since the original garden. He sees the wheat, those that are bearing good fruit. He sees the weeds too. But what he sees is deeper. He sees something that he loves. He sees his children. He sees his children all over the world, some of them being choked by weeds. Some weeds that they've allowed to grow in their hearts and some weeds choking them that others have allowed to grow. The weeds hurt us. They harm us. The weeds keep us from him. Then Jesus left the crowd and he went into the house. The disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the wheat in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. That dear old farmer is Jesus. That rich soil of the field is the world here. That good seed becomes the beautiful golden wheat where, where the people that are bearing fruit for the kingdom of heaven. The weeds are the things that we allow to mingle with and choke out the fruit in our lives. The weeds are the wicked things that come our way. The enemy who plants those seeds of ugliness is Satan. While God is inviting people into the kingdom to participate in the kingdom, Satan is working to keep them out. Remember screw tape and wormwood? Crafty and dark, tenaciously and thoughtfully chipping away at our hearts. We must never forget that there is a battle being waged that we don't see. The Bible reminds us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. That's from Ephesians 6. And then in 1 Peter we read, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is shrewd. He has done a great job getting us to overlook him. We can dismiss the idea that a spiritual battle is real because we can't see it taking place. We don't always give a serious consideration to Satan because we can see him as a cartoon character, which I have a slide of a couple pictures of that. Right? The world has made him so small and almost funny with horns and a pitchfork, with someone sitting on our shoulder who's kind of grumpy but overall harmless. Another snippet from Uncle Screwtape. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Satan will grind away at the weakness in our character, planting seeds of jealousy, of hatred, lust, doubt, settling for the ordinary. If your weakness is envy, he will quietly point out what's out there that you really deserve. If your weakness is lust, he will continue to tempt you with impure thoughts and opportunities to feed the lust that's within you. If you struggle with forgiveness, the enemy will whisper to you the hurt that another has caused again and again. The devil will prey on your weakness. He will replay your personal failures. He will tell you that God could never love someone like you. He seeks to rob our joy and our peace and our hope that comes from knowing Jesus. The feeling as if things might not work out in the end. Jesus' disciples were once again a bit fuzzy on the parable and asked Jesus to explain it, which I love when they do that because sometimes I'm a bit fuzzy on a parable and what it means. But Jesus told them, and he's telling us, that the one who was planting the good seed, that the field where the seed was being planted, that he was the one who was planting the good seed, that the, fe- the seed that was being planted was the world. The wheat is those of us who follow Jesus' teaching and walk out lives of love, integrity, kindness. Jesus told the disciples that the enemy of the righteous is trying to destroy the good, to separate us from God. The enemy gets mixed in with the good seed. There's a powerful quote by Richard Rohr that says, The deceiver is going to sow. So we are to be discerning, to be able to distinguish between the good and deception. It is not our job to cut or burn. Jesus cautioned the disciples, and us as well, to wait until the harvest to pull the weeds. Then God would separate the good from the bad, the wheat from the weeds, and the good wheat would be saved for the kingdom. I join you in the frustration and the pain of seeing and experiencing hell around us. And I find it important to pause and discern and to be honest about our craving for decisive action to be taken by God on the sin of this world. We live in a world where the tension of good seeds and bad seeds coexist. 
The world of ours is a great field, a field just waiting for good seed. But just as good seed is sown, so is bad. When we try to eliminate every weed, we forget that we have our own weeds within us. Not only do the weeds and the wheat grow together in the same field, they grow together in our lives. There are no purely good people or completely bad people. We often judge others and their shortcomings, but we don't always see our own so clearly. To help us wrestle with this, we turn to N.T. Wright. Would people really like it if God were to rule the world directly and immediately so that our every thought and action were weighed and instantly judged and, if necessary, punished in the scales of his absolute holiness? If the price of God stepping in and stopping a campaign of genocide were that he would also have to rebuke and restrain every other evil impulse, including those we all still know and cherish within ourselves, would we be prepared to pay that price? If we ask God to act on special occasions, do we really suppose that he could do that simply when we want him to and then back off again the rest of the time? I hope that was helpful to help us make sense of holding the tension or at least better understanding it, the tension of the wheat and the weeds, while also embracing the key takeaways from Jesus' parable, that this is a parable of a story about God's grace the enemy's plan, and God winning in the end. And with every good story, there is victory in the end. Richard Rohr goes on to say, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better, the victory of the righteous. So how do we walk out the better in our lives? How do we walk out what true victory really looks like? In our battle with evil, we must not forget that we are to be different from the world, look different from the world, to stand for righteousness, to stand for truth. The victorious, fruit-bearing life is lived in faith. It's a moment-by-moment -moment surrender of obedience and trust. Walking in victory is being rooted and grounded in Jesus reflecting his love and kindness and grace and truth and opening our hearts to people. Walking in victory is accepting his invitation to participate in the kingdom of heaven, being the good seed, allowing our roots to go down deep, standing firm against the one who sows bad seed. We, the church, people who love Jesus, are to be the good seed. We are invited to do good and be good in the world. We are to pay attention to the good in the world long enough for it to imprint on our minds and our hearts, cultivating true hope. While at the same time, we don't ignore or pretend that evil doesn't take place all around us. So we are to be alert to work within the kingdom of God now 
and do this until the harvest is sorted later. 18th century Irishman Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Do good until the harvest is sorted, and the sorting is not our job. We are not good at it, and as the parable explains, we should let the angels and the Lord do that job. This has been their assignment all along. Our Heavenly Father is sowing us into a world in which wheat and weeds grow alongside each other. May we be, as Jesus said earlier in Matthew, the flavor of salt seasoning the world, and to be light, light that cannot be hidden. Light that reflects him and shines so brightly for the kingdom. May we be wheat in the midst of weeds. At the end of every movie, as the music plays and the credits roll, we celebrate the victory, that goodness wins. At the end of the, at the, end of the Patriot, there is freedom. The good guys win, there's redemption, there's victory but not without loss or brokenness, the good mingled with the bad. The now of the kingdom of heaven is like that too. As the story of our lives play out, it isn't always easy. The enemy is cunning and calculating. There's beauty mingled with loss and with brokenness. But, as the stories of our lives are still unfolding, the good mingled with the bad, we know who wins. Through his goodness and through his grace, it's the victory of the righteous. There is freedom. The victorious life is a life that is lived by faith in moment-to-moment -moment surrender, obedience, and trusting him. Walking in victory is accepting his invitation to participate in the kingdom of heaven, being the good seed, rooted and grounded in Jesus, allowing our roots to go down deep, reflecting his love, his grace, and his truth, standing firm against the one who sows bad seed, being wheat in the midst of weeds. Will you pray with me?